0: Welcome to Econ Cafe 2021, the 2021 edition. I'm Mike Mandel, author
1: of Economics, the Basics. And I'm Sean Flynn, the author of Economics for Dummies and the co-author of the McConnell Principles of Economics textbook.
0: Great to see you again, Sean. And it's a new year, and we're talking now at the early part of January, and the vaccines are starting to roll out slowly across the country, offering some hope that this pandemic will be moderating soon. And so we decided it'd be a really good idea to talk about the economics of vaccines. Yes,
1: and this is great. And I, I, you know, my mother being older, and I think you've got older members of your family, I'm very grateful that it's going to be given to uh, the people who are in most danger, immune conditions, elderly and stuff, because normalcy for the rest of us would be great But it's not, for me, probably a life and death situation. So I'm really happy these vaccines have come down the pipeline.
0: And I'm happy that they're available to healthcare workers and to essential workers who have not had the same kind of choices that you and I have had to socially distance ourselves. We've been lucky because our work allows us to work from home and basically not be in contact with people very much. It's much harder for people who have to be in contact with others as part of their job.
1: Mm -hmm, Yes. And so that's, yeah, that's wonderful. Because if they're protected, they can protect others. And yeah, as you said, get this over as as quickly as possible. Because with these couple of new strains popping up, you know, the the pessimism around this is very bad. But as as, you know, you were telling me earlier, and the mRNA technology with some of these vaccines should allow us to, in some sense, mutate the vaccine as quickly as the virus mutates and really be done with this, hopefully by the summer. Well, that
0: would be wonderful. So let's talk a little bit about what's happened here. Starting in early 2020, the pandemic, COVID started showing up, and immediately they started getting vaccines into development, not just one, not just two, but four, five, six, seven, eight different vaccines using different technologies because they had no idea which one was going to work. The government was financing a lot of these, and not only that, simultaneously they were developing the vaccine, then they were testing the vaccine, and they were building the manufacturing facilities, which is amazing, which... No drug company ever does that. No drug company ever builds the manufacturing facilities before they've been approved. I mean, who would do that? This is why you needed government funding here.
1: Yeah, well, in a guaranteed government funding, there's this thing, it's sort of a game theory thing called the holdup problem where, you know, do you make a big investment if you know there's a partner or a purchaser or something who won't follow through later? Maybe, or they'll try and squeeze you, right? You put a billion dollars into developing a vaccine and then... They want it for three cents a dose. One to break even, you need 20. By guaranteeing the purchase ahead of time, you know, just as long as it was efficacious, which has now been proven. Yeah, the government got all these companies willing to take on what otherwise would have been a tremendous financial risk.
0: You know, usually we think about supply and demand as companies on the supply side, companies make an investment and then they produce the good. And then on the demand side, the consumers look at the price of the good and decide whether they're going to buy it or not. What's been going on with vaccines, these vaccines, is completely different, okay? On the demand side, the government is paying for the vaccines. I mean, basically, they're free. Some of the institutions that administer the vaccines may charge an administration fee, but it's basically to be free to buy. Then on the supply side, what's happening?
1: well the supply side it's it's kind of now oversupply but again this was a risk management thing had we known any of these any one of these drugs was going to work in january and all we needed to do was build out the manufacturing capability and stuff then we would have only sponsored one thing but i think the us government is now back five different vaccines because at the beginning we didn't know if any of them were going to work right so you might as well you know put five horses in a race and so uh Yes. So in some sense, a little overspending, but, you know, collectively with the five companies, I think it's only $10 billion. And that sounds like a lot of money, but that's probably about what the federal government spends in about three seconds normally. (laughs) Um, We're losing many multiples of that every single day with people being unemployed and the economy being slower and increased rates of, you know, mental health issues because people are cooped up and not interacting with each other. So this is going to go down, I think, as one of the greatest bargains in public health history.
0: You're absolutely right, Sean. And and of course, at the same time, other countries have been developing vaccines as well. So we have this funny situation where the market seems to have been disappeared out of sight, okay, which is the companies have had their R&D for the most part paid for. I mean, one company, Pfizer, did its own R&D, and then the purchases have been guaranteed, 100 million doses, 300 million doses, depending on which company. And then the cost on the other side, for the consumers is zero. So let's actually look at the reasons why it had to be done this way. On the consumer side, two reasons were equity and externalities. What do we think about the equity one?
1: For a situation like this where we're shutting down everyone's economy and whether you're rich or poor, you're you know, you you're you're going to get hurt by this, you know, that's one thing. Another equity is you should not be denied access to this vaccine which is a threat to humanity as a whole just because you wouldn't have the ability to pay because the dosages, I think, for these things are running anywhere from, well, one of them is really cheap, like three three bucks a dose is probably what it's going to be manufacturing cost, But others are up in like the $40 range and they need actually two doses, yeah, they think. And so especially, you know, there, there are people in our country who would have a hard time getting 80 bucks together. And if you're in a poor country right now, oh golly, 80 bucks a dose is not a good thing.
0: That's right. That's why it's actually important that some of these doses are going to sell for much cheaper. So that's the equity side. The externality side is really interesting too, because usually we, externalities mean that that people what people do affect other people. And that's clearly true for the pandemic. We want more people being vaccinated. So we reach herd immunity, which they're now saying is around 70%. Okay, And herd immunity basically says that, okay, if you have 70% of the population vaccinated, then the virus kind of dies out, does not find enough good hosts, and you can kind of get it out of the system.
1: Yeah, that's right. So if, if I mean, the simplest example is if imagine for measles. I'm the only person in the room that never got their measles vaccination as a kid. Everyone else has it. I get the measles somehow. If everyone else in the room has the measles vaccine and can't pass it on. There's, I can't infect anyone. And so we just wait till I'm healthy again and non-infectious. And then literally there's no measles in our little population of people in the room. And so, yeah, with 70%, you slow it down enough that it, it wouldn't die out immediately. But, you know, within a few months, it's, it's gone for all practical purposes.
0: And now you, you talked already about, Sean, about on the business side, okay, why it was important for the government to sort of pay for this ahead of time, and not just pay, f- not you mentioned the holder problem, not just pay for the R&D, but actually lock in the contracts so that the companies could build the manufacturing facilities, even if it doesn't
1: work. Well, I mean, that, yeah, just otherwise it would just because li- literally these are hundreds of billions of dollar projects, potentially. Let me say it wasn't as expensive as it would have normally been because a lot of the expenses are running these massive stage one, stage two, stage three clinical trials, which were done here. But the regulatory process was vastly accelerated, which cut the cost. But potentially, in a normal situation to develop one of these vaccines, if there wasn't a guaranteed buyer on the back end, it would have been very difficult for a CEO of a company to do one of these, knowing that it might literally plunge his or her company into bankruptcy. Because they can take
0: five years, seven years, 10 years, and then still not get approved. Maybe not bankruptcy, but it, but certainly it would be. It certainly would be expensive. And vaccines have very difficult economics on them when they don't have government support. And what we've seen here is actually fascinating. We've seen that in a crisis, what we can do on the biopharmacide is much faster and much better than anybody expected.
1: Yes, and actually, so I remember for I can't remember which one of the vaccines, but if you want to think of first making a blueprint. And then you have to test the building design, and then you actually have to build the building, right? That's sort of like developing the vaccine itself. And then you've got to do all the safety tests. And then, as you said, you build out the manufacturing capability. The blueprints for some of these drugs were done around February 1st of last year, right? The problem then was you have to test the blueprint, and then you have to build the facility and actually construct the building. And it was those things, you know, we had talk of Operation Warp Speed as though it was like Star Trek or something, but the warp speed actually wasn't in the scientists saying this is what the vaccine should be like. That, that actually went really quickly. It was in the testing and now in the manufacturing and the distribution, because some of them have to be kept like ridiculously cold, you know, until delivery. And yeah, that went shockingly fast. Virtually no one thought it could be done in less than a year. Some were talking about two years, I remember, in the spring, three years potentially. And so, yeah, this has been a tremendous achievement. And one of my great hopes going forward is that this sort of new regulatory regime, supervision regime, will roll over to the development of other drugs and hopefully reduce their costs in the future.
0: Now, wouldn't that be great? That'd be a really good silver lining from this utterly disastrous pandemic that it could actually usher in a new era of bio that might be sort of a a new wave of growth. Wouldn't that be wonderful?
1: It would be. And actually, with, with CRISPR technology, we, you know, which has been making the news, and this R- mRNA, the mitochondria RNA stuff that, you know, as you were pointing out to me before the talk began, never seemed to work before in other contexts, but now we've got, what, two, three vaccines that are using it successfully?
0: It's just great. And so it could very well be that for the students that are, are listening now, that this could usher in really a, a new era of healthcare and bio in a way that, that wasn't happening before.
1: Yeah and and also I think it's a good idea that um maybe for the first time you know we're talking about the economics of a guaranteed contract I think a lot more people will be aware of what a powerful incentive that is for any any corporation and obviously you don't want you know people handing guaranteed contracts out to their cousin and you know cronyism and stuff like that but I've always thought that government should be willing to instance, you know, put up large cash prizes to the first company to, you know, develop something that we need. Like back in the day, it would have been, for instance, an HIV vaccine. Just say, hey, there's 10 billion dollars waiting for anyone who goes first. Right. So there there are several different ways, like prizes to give that big incentive to get people going and over the hump to make the decision to say, hey, this could be financially risky, but we're going to do it. So that,
0: but that raises the interesting question is what would you offer prizes for at this point? Maybe in a drug that, that helps with Alzheimer's or diabetes?
1: Well, the biggest killers in terms of life expectancy, right, are the cardiovascular things. It's the heart attacks and the strokes. So if, you know, and maybe I'm wrong about this and I'm not a public health expert, but it seems to me from what I've read that say the prize is waiting or the guaranteed contract for anyone who can make a meaningful reduction in heart attack rates, or actually, you know, we've got a huge diabetes problem in this country. which causes all kinds of other limb amputations, terrible things, then maybe, yeah, that would be a place. But I'm so happy that all the public policy people now have seen this work at least once in their lifetimes, and maybe we'll find other good places um, to utilize it in the future.
0: That would be great. And hopefully the next time we uh, talk that both of us will have been vaccinated, or at least maybe our parents have.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Thanks very much.
1: Okay. Thank you, Mike. Bye-bye.
0: This podcast is being recorded early in January 2021. The vaccines are starting to roll out slowly across the country, offering some hope that this pandemic will be moderating soon. So we decided it'd be a good idea to talk about the economics of vaccines. We typically think about supply and demand in this way. Companies on the supply side make an investment and then produce the good. Then on the demand side, the consumer looks at the price of the good and decides whether to buy it or not. Vaccines are much different. On the demand side, the buyer, the government, financed the development of several different vaccines. Moreover, for each vaccine, the government agreed to pay a fixed price for all the doses it bought. Consumers, of course, get the vaccine for free. On the supply side, most of the pharma companies, the vaccine developers, had financing from the government so they could build manufacturing facilities even before the vaccines were approved, which is never done this way. The result is that the price of the vaccine to the ultimate consumer, individuals, Is zero because of the government subsidies. Why is zero a good price here for vaccines? The two reasons are equity and externalities. Equity means that people should not be denied access to this vaccine simply because they don't have enough money. That's just straightforward, good public practice and morality. What do we mean by externalities? Remember that an externality means that something you do affects someone else. In the case of COVID-19, if there are more people vaccinated, it makes you safer. If enough people are vaccinated, the society has herd immunity and the pandemic basically fades away. Taking a step back, we've seen that in a crisis, we can actually develop new pharmaceutical products much faster than we thought. The development, the testing for safety and efficacy, and the building of the manufacturing facilities were all done at the same time. Even some of the production was geared up before the vaccines were approved. Maybe we might be able to use the same approach in the future to speed up the development of better treatments for ailments like diabetes and Alzheimer's. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Thanks for listening.